So those of you who know uh, the, about the Sunday school class and who've been coming to the Sunday school class know that we've been talking about forgiveness, and we've been using a book by uh, a gentleman who is now gone. His name is Lewis Smeeds, and he had something of a ministry around forgiveness and teaching about forgiveness. Uh, terrific book called The Art of Forgiving. If you don't remember anything else from the sermon this morning, I hope you remember the title of the book because it, it has uh, gems for you if you take the time. It's not a difficult read, but he's a wise and good-hearted man, and he does a great job of presenting the topic. Well, Dan and Brian both thought that some of this information would be useful in the larger uh, body, and so here I am. Which I have to tell you, this is the first time I've, I've taught here from like this level. I like being down on that level. Um, that works better for me. I don't sweat quite so much. <laughs> this is different. So this morning I'm going to try to highlight some of what we have talked about in the last two months of Sunday school classes, and I'm also going to address some uh, of the, the scriptures that um, embody. Would it be better, Rob, if I got rid of this? Am I just like rubbing that thing the wrong way? Okay. I don't know how much of that you guys can hear out there. Up here it sounds like distant thunder in my ears. Let's just give it a try. Okay. Up. Oh, still there? All right. We're having technical difficulties. We're going to be working mostly out of Matthew chapter 18 this morning. So if you have a, a Bible and you want to stick your finger in there, that's where we're going to be camping most of the time. We are going to take a look at some other passages as well. We're going to be taking a look at some of the ways that we as believers get stuck in not forgiving the way that we are instructed to and some of the consequences of not forgiving. But most of you know that I'm a, a licensed counselor and I've been working with uh, adults and couples and adolescents for the last 30 years. And some of you might think that that means or think that I think that means that I have it all figured out. Just to be clear, what it really means is that I get up and go to work every day and I get reminded how much I don't have figured out and how complicated things can be. So as we approach this difficult topic of forgiveness, um, I want you to know that I know what I don't know. But I also know some of the things that Jesus taught us in the scripture that, about which there is deep wisdom and we want to we focus on those things this morning. I've worked with victims of violent crime, domestic violence, child abuse, attempted murder, murder. I've worked with surviving family members of these crimes. I've worked with surviving family members of suicide. I've worked with people addicted to nearly everything that you can think of. And their spouses, and their kids, and their parents anybody who loves them. I've worked with adults who grew up in homes of all sorts, some of which were characterized by terrible stories of dysfunction and abuse, mentally ill, addicted, violent, incestuous parents. 
And I've worked with couples struggling to save marriages after various kinds of betrayals. I've worked with broken-hearted, newly divorced people struggling to make sense of how it was that their partner could possibly have done what they did. So why am I mentioning all of these dark things to you on this Sunday morning when our hearts are full of worship and we come to praise Jesus? Well, first off, because I know that in any group this size, there are people who have been through some of the things that I just described to greater or lesser degrees. And secondly, because all of these dear people have a challenge in common. How do you follow the command of the scriptures to forgive as we have been forgiven when you are dealing with things like this? In Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, uh, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindnesses, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, it's one thing to contemplate that command when you're looking at something relatively minor. It's something else altogether when you have suffered a serious wrong. So before we dive into this most serious topic, let us pray. Dear Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you will help us to draw strength and clarity and direction from it. We are thankful that no one knows more about forgiving than you do. No one knows more about hurt and betrayal and loss than you do. Thank you that you made all... You were made in all ways as we are so that you can be a compassionate high priest and you can usher us into forgiving because you understand it better than anyone. Help those of us this morning who are struggling with wounds, old ones and recent ones. Help those of us who have succumbed to anger and bitterness and hatred and are still being tortured by our lack of healing. Help us this morning to take steps to follow you in this gracious path so that we can be more whole. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, well, in case you needed any clarification, Tony Robbins, I am not. (laughs) So, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, 
the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless his word to us this morning. So first, I want to talk our way through this passage and make some general observations. And then we're going to work our way towards some application. And that's where I'm going to include some of the material from Lewis Smead's book. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus had just been teaching about what to do when a brother sins against you, and he outlined a process for working through these situations to some kind of conclusion, hopefully a a conclusion of repentance. It was in this context that Peter asks his question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Well, the background on this is that there was a uh, rabbinical teaching that you were to forgive three times. Uh, the fourth time you didn't have to, but up to three you had to. So Peter is presenting to Jesus uh, a new and improved standard. Uh, how many times? Maybe twice the usual rabbinic teaching plus one. And I don't know what was in his mind or what he may have been thinking, uh, G- how Jesus was going to respond. It's possible he thought, Jesus was going to admire his going so far, or that perhaps Jesus would back away from such an extreme position as seven times forgiveness. Jesus will have none of it. He gives his response, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some versions read 70 times seven. Whether you're talking 77 or 490, we still got a bunch of forgiving to do, right? He goes on to tell a story to make his point even more clear. So there's this king, and he's going to settle accounts with his servants, and there's a servant who owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent in that day had various valuations. Uh, It was both a measure of weight and of money. Uh, Depending on whether it was silver or gold being referred to, a talent could have different values. But the general understanding that I got from most of the commentaries I looked at was that a denarius was a day's wages for a common laborer, and a talent was 6,000 denarii. Now, at that rate, and figuring an $11.50 minimum wage, a denarius would be about 92 bucks today. 
and a talent would be worth about $552,000. 10,000 talents would be about five and a half billion with a B dollars. So just for frame of reference, that is more than the gross domestic product of 55 countries in the world in 2015, according to the UN. So suffice it to say, this is an impossible debt for an individual to ever hope to pay. Now, another way to think of this debt is that it was equal to 250,000 years of labor. And that figures 240 days of work per year. This is an astronomical debt. It, it is a hopeless debt. This is a lay down and give up kind of debt. The master knows that the servant cannot pay, so he orders him to be sold along with his wife and children and possessions and payment be made. The servant falls on his knees and begs, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Five and a half billion dollars, are you kidding me? Have mercy and I will pay you everything? Best guess is the guy is panicked. Whatever he's done has finally caught up with him. You don't accrue five and a half billion dollar debt easily. You gotta work at that. Have mercy and I will pay you everything. Now the master's smart enough to know this is not even possible. There are few more clear pictures of the gospel in the scriptures than this. Let us consider. The king we know is God the Father, and we, we are the servant who owes the impossible debt. In pity, the Father at his own expense absorbs the debt, and we are free. How do you think about what you have been forgiven? When you think of your salvation, do you believe you have been forgiven such an impossible debt? Or do you believe that on the whole you are a pretty good person, uh, perhaps not needing quite as much saving as some of those other folks that you've heard stories about? Maybe you were raised in a Christian home and were set on a pretty good path. Maybe you avoided some of the awful behaviors that we read about in the newspaper. What does the scripture tell us about ourselves before Christ? Read with me from Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are Jews any better off? Better off than Greeks, he means. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This description was the culmination of three chapters of argument by the Apostle Paul, the result of which was that it didn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Greek, it didn't matter whether you were a religious person or a heathen, all were under sin because all were in Adam, our father. We were in Adam, we were in the flesh, and we were under law. This was our fate, this was our condition. And by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. It's five and a half billion dollars, friends. It's impossible. You cannot pay the debt. You can't get close. You can't begin. You can't even begin. Not in any meaningful way. The gulf between us and the holiness of God is infinite. We were helpless in our sin, just like the servant in Matthew 18. The king, our father in heaven, had a solution to the problem, but it involved him absorbing the cost, which he did out of pity and love for us. He sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As the old song says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. It is so important that we have this awareness of the greatness of the debt that we were forgiven. It affects many things. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is having dinner with Simon, a Pharisee. Here's the story. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city... Uh, read prostitute, who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, I love this, he's thinking to himself, and Jesus answers him. Wouldn't that freak you out? (laughs) That would freak me out. Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. 
Then, turning toward the woman, he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you don't appreciate the size of the debt that you have been forgiven, it has an impact on your devotion to Christ, your passion for him, your affection for him. Simon did not have that sense of his debt Jesus points out that he didn't give Jesus water for his feet or kiss him or anoint his head with oil, all things that would have been fitting. But this woman showed Jesus great love because she had been forgiven much. How do you suppose she felt walking into that place? Jesus, the rabbi, meeting with Simon, the Pharisee, the righteous ones. How do you suppose she felt? walking in there, a known prostitute. Her love for Jesus was so great, her sense of gratitude so strong, she walked right through all of that and loved Jesus and worshipped him. (laughs) If you don't know or fully appreciate the size of the debt you've been forgiven, it affects how you think about Jesus. Let's get back to Matthew 18. Our servant in the story, the one who represents us, those who have been forgiven an unforgivable debt, goes out and finds another servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Denarius is a day's wages, so a hundred days wages, it's not chump change, but it's a debt that is capable of being paid off. He chokes him. He chokes him. The guy makes the same plea that our servant did, have patience with me, I'll repay you everything. The servant does not go along with this, throws the guy in prison until the debt was paid. The fellow servants go and tell the master because they're grieved. This is just wrong. This is such an injustice. Then we get the sobering end of the story. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, some versions read torturers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The punchline is clear. You've been forgiven an enormous debt. It is ridiculous for you 
to not extend grace and forgiveness to others. I don't know how much stronger he could have put it. But do you get the idea? It's nuts. We don't forgive? Are you kidding? It's as crazy as the guy in the parable. There's a secondary punchline here that's also clear but disturbing. If we forgive, if we do not forgive, we are left with the torturers. We are left with the jailers. Most commentators agree that this parable is not intended to teach that we can lose our salvation if we do not forgive others. In order for that to be true, then much of what we have been studying from the Gospel of John with Pastor Dan would have to be false. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I don't think we're talking about getting thrown into hell if you don't forgive your brother, just to be clear. Chuck Swindoll, when he's preaching on this passage, refers to the torturers as the natural consequences of not forgiving. We are tortured by bitterness, hatred, and vengeful thoughts. We produce excess stomach acid, have high blood pressure, and don't sleep well. We are negative and untrusting in our relationships and are prone to be judgmental. We road rage. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and interpersonally tortured. I wish I had a buck for every person that I've worked with who fits that description. They do not have evil intentions generally, but they have been hurt badly, and they've not been able to get to forgiveness, which means they have not been able to get to healing. Now, sometimes this is true because they believe misconceptions about what forgiveness is, and I want to address some of these before we have to stop this morning and move on to communion. I'm sorry, that sounded wrong. I want to get to these before we stop this morning and get to go to communion. Many thanks to Lewis Smedes, the author of The Art of Forgiving, for some of this content. Uh, and I, I'm going to promo, shamelessly promo the book again, The Art of Forgiving. It's terrific. Camp out with it for a weekend. It may help you get free. One of the first misconceptions I commonly hear from people who are refusing to forgive is that forgiving means excusing or saying, I guess, in effect, that it wasn't really a wrong. In some way, it didn't matter, and that they didn't really hurt us. When we're wronged by others and we choose to forgive them, we're not saying that they didn't wrong us, only that we're giving up our right to get even with them or exact revenge. Forgiving means we give up vengeance. It does not mean that we do not seek justice. The only reason why forgiveness is even a topic of conversation is because the offense was real, it hurt, and it was wrong. The second misconception is similar, and that's the one where people believe that forgiving in some way minimizes 
what was done. And you've probably uttered some of these phrases yourself. This idea is captured by what we say sometimes when people try to apologize to us, right? Oh, don't worry about it. It was no big deal. It didn't really hurt. Or I'm used to it. Or it is what it is. Or that's just the way it goes, right? You have these ways of kind of dismissing it and making it smaller. Now, with large offenses, to say such things means we have to deny reality. In effect, we have to lie about the injury and how it affected us. Imagine if you were in a body cast in the hospital and you're in traction and somebody comes in and says, I'm really sorry I ran that red light and T-boned you and put you in this terrible situation. And you say, it's okay. It only hurts a little. The only reason why forgiveness is even a topic of conversation is because the offense was significant. It mattered. The third misconception I want to say something about is perhaps the most difficult. And depending on how you see the issue, it may ruffle a few feathers. I've done that in Sunday school a couple of times. We've managed to get through it okay, but uh, it's good for us to wrestle with some of this. This misconception is essentially to confuse forgiveness with restoration or reunion. To believe that, in effect, if we really forgive, we are obligated to reunite or to restore. Now, we're told in the scripture that we must forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven. We are never told we must trust people who do not deserve our trust. Jesus did not always trust the people that he was dealing with. He didn't have any need for anybody to tell him what was in the heart of man. And sometimes he checked out because the crowd did not have good intentions. Forgiving others is something that we have to be engaged in doing if we're going to be following Jesus. This is true whether or not the person is repentant. This is true whether or not the person is likely to reoffend in the same manner. But trust is a decision that we make based on our assessment of the trustworthiness of the other person. Some examples may help here. I have to forgive the person who drove drunk with my child in their car. I do not have to let my child ride with them again. I have to forgive the person who cheats me in a business dealing. I do not have to continue my business relationship with them. I have to forgive a spouse who has multiple affairs and destroys the marriage covenant. Whether or not I choose to try to reunite with them depends very much on what they do to regain trust and heal the relationship. We are required to forgive the youth pastor who engages in some indiscretion with a member of the youth group. We are not required to forego the justice system and are certainly not required to let him keep his job. In short, forgiveness is mandatory, whereas trusting is something that we do when it is reasonable to do so. 
How are you doing this morning? Are there wounds? I'm being rhetorical. I know there are wounds because we're all on the planet together and we all hurt each other. It's the nature of being who we are. We don't always get it right. And sometimes, sometimes we let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Not because we have to. Paul said we're free from that. But we do. And when we do, the fallout hurts the people around us. I know enough of your stories to know this is true. I know that all those things I mentioned earlier are characteristic of people sitting next to you, whether you know it or not. Some of you were raised by parents who were so broken they they could not do much of a job. And you were hurt in a lot of ways. Some of you have been hurt by your siblings, your spouses, your business partners, your children. Are you stuck? Do you sometimes sit around thinking angry thoughts about them? Do you sometimes rehearse the injury, the pain that you have been through? Do you sometimes think about what you would do if you could to hurt them or what you wish perhaps someone else might do? Have the torturers been at work robbing you of sleep, of health, of peace, and healthy relationships? Have you believed that to forgive means your injury does not matter? Or that seeking justice is not allowed? Have you believed that if you forgive, you must again trust, potentially putting yourself or your loved ones in harm's way? Or like the servant in the parable, have you forgotten the size of the debt that you've been forgiven, mistakenly believing that your debt was small, and then going on to judge and exact a cost from someone else in an ungracious way. My prayer this week for myself and for all of us is that this teaching of Jesus about the size of the debt that we have been forgiven and how that should influence our devotion to him and how it should influence the way we forgive one another, that's going to be reverberating in your mind throughout the week. I pray that we will have a renewed sense of the boundless grace of God that has made possible our forgiveness. Like that prostitute who anointed the feet of Jesus, I pray that we will love much because we have been forgiven much. And that because we have been forgiven much, we will extend forgiveness in that same way. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you that you know this path of forgiveness. And you have prescribed it for us because it honors you, because it makes sense, and because it is our pathway to healing. Jesus, we want to follow you in that gracious pathway. We pray that you will help us, those of us especially who have 
succumbed to bitterness and anger, resentment and unforgiveness, will you help us take your hand and walk with you into that forgiveness so that we can be set free and so that the grace the grace that we extend will be a picture of your grace towards us and it will honor your great sacrifice by which we have peace with God thank you Jesus we pray all of this in your name amen